What? You want to talk to your son? Yes, of course I do. Daddy? Dad? Sean? Sean? How are you? That's enough. No. Put him back on. I want I want to talk to him. You just did. Now you listen real, real good. You got one more chance to pay up, or you're never going to talk to him again. No more fucking around. This is it. Right now. What's it going to be? No. This is bullshit. You're not going to touch him. You can't be that stupid. Do you have any idea the rain of shit I can put on you? Look at your wife. Look at her face, motherfucker. Do you know what I can do to your boy? Is it dark where you're calling from? Got the shades drawn? Kind of like a cellar, right? Like a cave? Well, you better get used to that. You better get used to crawling around in the dark for the rest of your days, because I'm going to get the best group of manhunters in this country, and I'm going to dedicate my life to tracking you down. Hey, hey, get your head out of your ass. You can threaten me, huh? Who do you think you're dealing with? Give me the money. Fuck you and your two million. Don't you understand English, you useless piece of shit? No money. None. Let me tell you something. You think you're suffering now, huh? You got no idea what suffering is. If I don't get the cash in one hour, this kid is dead. I don't get my son back, and I mean real soon. You better kill yourself. Because when I catch up with you, I'm going to take my goddamn time. By the time we're finished, you're going to wish you weren't born. I'll have your head on a fucking pike. Do you understand me? Fuck you. I'll fucking kill him right now. You kill him, you kill yourself, you motherfucker. Give me my, give me back my son. You want him? Yes. You want him? Yes. Daddy. Jimmy fires gun. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> and scene. I think Ron Howard's going to be giving us a call any day now. This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. I am RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week we're kidnapping children and doling out heroin while watching spine number 24, Akira Kurosawa's High and Low from 1963. But first, RJ, what's up? Mm, not much, man. Um... I was uh, a little short of breath just now um, on the weekend. My sisters and my mom and uh, Andrea all got together and made like a, like a couple hundred cabbage rolls uh, because we are a good Hungarian family and we, we like to do things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have been eating cabbage rolls for lunch and dinner for about four days. Four days. <laughs> for, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Andrea's like, after day two, Andrea's like, are you still eating the cabbage rolls? I was like, yeah. Of course and she's like uh and then and then yesterday <laughs> happened and i was still eating them and she just kind of like didn't even say anything she just looked at me very like i don't want to say like disappointed but you can tell that she's leaving soon like <laughs> she's leaving for good so uh, oh, anyways no. um i've been eating so much cabbage the last couple days i feel like really bloated and i i literally just ate like what's got to be my ninth or tenth por- uh helping of cabbage rolls in the last five days just now and like i feel it right in my throat so when we were uh doing the intro there i um i almost didn't make it i was i'm not even kidding i was really short of breath it started coming up 
Well, it's not coming up. It's just oh. like I, I, I honestly feel like like it's right there kind of like it, not that it'll come out, but it's hampering my ability to breathe. So at this point with the, the, the cabbage rolls, are you kind of foregoing the cabbage and just kind of busting right into that like tomatoey beefy stuff? Uh, I usually do that anyways, right. but uh, I, I have been better because um, my grandma always tried to make me eat that cabbage. Yep. So I, I have been dabbling, trying to eat the cabbage as well. So I've eaten a lot of cabbage this week, man, like at least three heads of cabbage. <laughs> and it's only like five days that well, I've had these. Well, then. So anyways, um, if I like start choking or you notice me getting like visibly suffocated mm. and just blue yeah that's what happened okay how are you doing uh just fine and dandy uh just uh finished cooking up some uh chicken mango sausages that we bought uh, at the grocery Sounds store gross. on the weekend uh they're pretty good uh you know i would say the same thing if you told me you ate uh chicken mango sausages i'd be horrified mm-hmm. but uh they just happen to be doing kind of like the free display thing over at the grocery store and uh, i can't say no to meat so uh sampled those uh took a few actually and i was like these are pretty darn tasty asked what they were mm-hmm. i didn't ask any questions and they had like a big old vat of them just sitting there on display so picked up some of those fried them up had them with some nice old udon noodle and Call it a night. And now here we are, recording a podcast. <laughs> I have a few things to say. Um, I can't say no to meat is your new uh, catchphrase. Okay. Um, did you say you didn't even ask what it is, so you just bought it blindly? No, I know. We asked what it was, so we could oh, like find okay. it in the store. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. But still, what if it was people? What if it were people? Uh, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like the Costco sausage. Okay. Because you can get like ten for like uh, eight bucks or something. Oh, it's a pretty good deal. Actually, it's funny. My uh, parents, I stopped by there to pick up some mail, and uh, they they uh, pushed uh, some Costco sausage onto me. As a matter of fact. Well, when are you gonna figure it out and finally get on top of this and get some goddamn Costco sausage? Um, well, I I don't know. I have to get a Costco membership, I guess. Well, you let Daddy take you. Uh, you let Big Papa take oh. you down to Costco. Yeah, and uh, we'll put it on my card. I got one of them premium member cards. Oh yeah. Uh, just because of the amount of toilet paper I buy from there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a joke. You know what's kind of sad? The other day, Andrew was like, "50 percent of our life is just you on the toilet," and I was like, <laughs> well, "Yeah, uh, at least well, I'm regular." Well, those, well, those like three heads of cabbage are certainly not helping. I'm sure. They force their way out eventually. Yeah, I bet they, they do. Need, they become sentient and need to um, get out. Oh, boy. Well, yeah. RJ, moving along. Um, what yeah. you been, what you been uh, creeping on this week in the world of film? Oh, I actually got some creeping on here for you. Two weeks in a row, I actually have some movies watched. Is that, um, that a lot to do with the fact that the uh, thesis is kind of off and away? Um, yeah, kind of. So... Uh, I have my evenings opening up now for the next week at least, and then uh, um, and then I'll be closer to my defense, and then in those days I'll probably be studying a lot. So mm. then it'll it'll slow right back down. So I gotta get them in here while I can, I suppose. Damn right. Um, so I guess uh, the first one I watched uh, was a movie with uh, my best friend uh, Mel Gibson uh, called Tequila Sunrise from 1988. <laughs> Uh, also starring Kurt Russell, also starring Michelle Pfeiffer, also starring Ral Yulia, 
uh, our other friend of the show, um, R.I.P. Ral Yulia. Uh, do you know Tequila Sunrise? I know of the movie. I've never seen it, though. Okay, so Tequila Sunrise. Uh, Mel Gibson plays an ex-drug dealer. He's trying to get away from it. Uh, Kurt Russell plays his high school friend who is on the police squad in the drug division. And he has a reputation for not going after Mel Gibson because they were friends in high school. Michelle Pfeiffer is a restaurant owner that Mel Gibson likes to frequent because he's got the hots for her. And Raul Yulia plays a, a special agent for uh, the DEA of some sort. Uh, so the movie is kind of just about like uh, it's like a love triangle, I guess, between Mel Gibson, Kurt Russell and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, you'd think this movie would be super cool. But it's kind of boring. Um, mm. It's pretty. It's pretty lame, actually. Like, uh, it's just like Mel Gibson's like, "I'm a changed man, Michelle Pfeiffer." She's like, "I know, but I I trusted people before." That's her accent. That's how she talks. Okay. Don't look it up. And then Kurt Russell's like, "I'm a cop. You know, I'm cool." And so that's that's the whole movie. There's mm. nothing to talk about. Like, it's 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 actually just. I think it's a straight romance romance drama drama like i thought it was for some reason i thought it was like an action movie because it was called tequila sunrise but not the case however there is a pretty steamy jacuzzi scene with mel gibson and michelle pfeiffer and you see some pretty hot abs great (laughs) yeah hey this is this is what our show was initially established on was the finding and the inclusion of hot abs in movies so you gotta you gotta talk about it when you can all right Okay. Okay. Uh, so then I watched Contact with oh. uh, Jodie Foster because if people remember, I had uh, just audiobooked Contact by Carl Sagan. And so I watched the 97 movie by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, I think I'd seen like bits and pieces of this movie, but I never actually watched it. Um, and coming off, off the hot off of the book, I didn't think the movie was that good. Um, the book is a lot. I know it's a cheesy stupid thing to say but the book's a lot better um i liked in the book they talk about like how dedicated she is and like it's all about math and stuff and then in the movie it's like matthew mcconaughey's like a preacher and he's like hello baby Ooh, he's like i'm not a real preacher because i couldn't do the celibacy and then he like makes kissy noises at her um so like i I don't know i i know why they they chose to sex it up a little bit is (laughs) because People don't want to. People don't want to watch a two-hour movie about math. But uh, I don't know. Um, it also has like some pretty bad CGI, like Windows ninety-five CGI. Um, so that's weird. Mm. Jake Busey is in it as a, a really long-haired uh, religious zealot. So that's kind of cool too. Mm. Um, I don't even remember what to, I had. I actually had a lot of stuff to say about this, but I forgot because it's been like a week already. Yeah, uh, I well, it's been uh, almost twenty years since I watched Contact. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure I went to that opening night, uh, yeah. and like, yeah, I don't really remember too much about it. Does, is there a scene uh, where there's like a guy who obviously is going to like sabotage the project, and then yeah, it's he, Jake Busey. Yeah, okay. That, I remember yeah. like that being like really like telegraphed in like mm-hmm. watching the, the whole thing. It's like, oh, of course he's going to do that, and or it's that guy, and mm-hmm. yeah, I just remember. Well, even, yeah, the book. Sorry, what? Oh, I was just going to say, like, even at like at that point in my life, I was kind of like, oh, this is pretty obvious, right? And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I had no idea who like 
Carl Sagan was or yeah, or even like that this movie was like Robert Zemeckis because I was like I, I didn't mm-hmm. really know about I didn't think about directors at that time other than like Steven Spielberg but um, yeah. yeah I don't know it's like nothing I've ever really wanted to go back to um, mm-hmm. I guess that was like also kind of like Jodie Foster was like still like a hot item back in the 90s and would show mm-hmm. up and stuff and so she brought a lot of prestige when she showed up in things but yep. yeah I don't know I don't really have any like I have no memory of it at all it'd probably be like watching it brand new if I watched it again but you were saying uh i was just gonna take on that jodie foster's great in it like it's a role made for her like a dedicated lady who just wants to be like super good at her job like that's jodie foster but um i was gonna say the book handles like scenes like that a lot better like there's a sabotage in the book too but like there's no like build up to it it's like ooh, he's the bad guy you see like it just happens and then they figure it out later they're like oh someone must have sat like blew it up intentionally or something like that like he just glosses over it and it's the same with like the mcconaughey priest stuff like there's a lot of not even like undertones there's like a lot of religious debate in both the movie and the book but in the movie it comes across as i don't know it's a it's a little in your face i guess so i don't know that's contact that's contact that's all i'm gonna say about that and then you know what i watched Jared. what did you watch i went to one of the marvel movies Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know that I was going to say that, did you? You no, forgot. I did. Uh, so I went to that Doctor Strange movie mm-hmm. with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Um, It's fine. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. That's all I, I can, like, I think it looks really good at um, for most of the part. There's a couple of scenes where you can tell one of the, uh, like, 800 digital or, like, designers, like, missed a little bit because Mads Mikkelsen looks like like a character from a PlayStation 1 game which is a little bit gross um that's most of it was pretty good um it's, it was better than Civil War what's so what's, uh, the, what's, so what's the difference between a uh, uh PlayStation 1 character and a Windows 95 special effect uh one was in contact and one was in Doctor Strange oh but what does it actually look like what's the difference <laughs> Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just like miming it for you, but the people out there can't see. I have like my arms up in the air. They're very rigid. My hands are like flattened out. This is a P- PlayStation character <laughs> and, uh, a windows 95 is a little bit more round. So there you go. Um, no, uh, it was fine. Um, it's better than some of the other ones that they put out. I think mostly because it's a little bit different. Um, I'm going to tell you something you might not know about me, Jared. When I was little, I used to do magic. Yeah? Like little, uh, little kid magic? Oh, no. I did real fucking magic. Serious shit. I'd get people to pull out a card and then write it down. They'd burn it, and I'd take the ashes and rub them on my skin, and it would be the uh, the card number. Like real shit. I could bite a quarter in half. I could make a card float. Uh, in my elementary, I once got uh, asked to perform for a teacher's retirement party as a magician. Mm-hmm. So um, my point, I guess, is I like magic. How did you uh, dress when you were performing this? Uh, these acts? Uh, I wore a fedora. Of course. Uh, not like a traditional fedora, like a like a film noir fedora, like like what the hat was really about. You know what I mean? Before it got taken up by like people touristing Puerto Rico, like. <laughs> Before, like, tourist fedoras like, became like, a thing. So, like, what, like a neck beard? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I, I just, yeah. So it was like a fedora, um, probably a Space Jam t- t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, I, I, probably some puka shells. So you weren't rocking the tuxedo mask look? Uh, no, I don't think so. I do think I had a, a sports coat that I wore uh, over top, but uh, I think I was pretty laid back underneath. Um, so anyways, that's all. We can talk about my magician days another time. Okay. But uh, Doctor Strange. So I, I just was saying that to prelude that hey i like magic yeah um the stuff with all the scene or the like uh, the kaleidoscope stuff that was all pretty cool but i mean in a post inception world it's nothing <laughs> new like i i don't think they were trying to hide that they just like completely stole that um that stuff looks pretty good um benedict cumberbatch is all right mad mads mickelson is pretty good um, it's got some pretty bad Marvel jokes, like all Marvel jokes do, or all Marvel movies do. Mm-hmm. Um, Chitowel Ejiofor, uh, you know him, breakthrough actor from the last couple of years. Yep. You know him? Uh, his character is embarrassing. <laughs> Just like you feel bad watching his character on screen because he's, he's like the guy who's like uh, he's – showing benedict cumberbatch how to do things and then he learns something that like his master isn't completely innocent so it questions his faith and then at the end he has a turn of heart and becomes like the villain um spoilers i guess uh like i know that's a really comic booky thing but like it's it was really bad in this movie like i just felt bad for him on the screen there's a scene near the end where like Mads Mikkelsen is like almost one and she, uh, Chidwell Ejiofor gets up and he's like, he's like, come on, Dr. Strange, we can still do this. And then he like pulls out his hands in a really magician-y way. And it's just like, Oh God, like, um, you just get uncomfortable. You get physically uncomfortable watching him. Uh, Benedict Wong also, he had some pretty, uh, embarrassing things. Not like embarrassing for him as an actor, but it's just like, oof, they really, uh, they really know how to write diversity in these movies, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, how how is uh, Tilda Swinton? Oh, she's fine. Yeah. Like I don't think. Yeah, I think that's less of a big deal than some of the other things. But no, I, was uh, cu- I was curious because like, I remember she's in it because of, there was the controversy there. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, this was a movie that I actually had like a lot of stuff to talk about because it's like it's borderline bad. But it was also entertaining for the most part, mm-hmm. which I guess is like a lot of their movies. But a lot of their movies, I think, are just bad. So this one has an edge on that somewhere. I don't know what it was. Um, I went with my uh, 14-year-old nephew, and he thought it was the tits. Whoa. So, the 14-year-olds know their tits. Yeah, he he, sh- he certainly does. Um, oh, and then uh, just leading into this... Uh, there was a bad guy in this movie, not really a bad guy, but like the rival doctor was this guy with eyebrows who was also like in a movie we went to, he was like the bad army guy with eyebrows. Oh, so the, the next two movies I watched were movies you also watched. So I guess we can just transition to that. We'll transition together. (laughs) Transitioning. Woo. Um, so yeah, uh, we watched arrival. Yes, we did. Uh, that's a new release there in theater from one mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve. Um, Denis. Yeah. So I don't know, RJ. Maybe you can you can do the recap. You you, you recap oh. this movie. I wasn't expecting to. Um, okay. Uh, aliens. That's it. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Amy Adams is a linguistic. 
a linguist. A linguist. Uh, she studies different languages and things of that nature. And she is a fancy professor. And then one day the aliens come and they're in giant spaceships and no one knows why they're there. And then the military comes to Amy Adams and is like, can you talk to these things? And she's like, sure, I can. I'm Lois Lane, baby. I can talk to I can get the scoop on anyone. So they fly her out where she meets uh, the buffest physicist in the world, uh, Jeremy Renner. Uh, and them two with a, a few army flunkies go into the spacecraft to talk to the cephalopod uh, knuckle squid aliens. And uh, the movie's just kind of about them learning each other's languages and trying to figure out why they're there all among or amidst the rising conflict in the other nations with aliens. Uh, you know, the typical red nations, China, Russia, and, uh, there was one more, but, uh, all those bad, bad nations that are always going to give USA a hard time because they're going to, they don't like the aliens. They don't know why they're there. They're going to, they're going to blow them up. Those foreigners. Um, those foreigners. So Amy Adams has to get in there and find out what they're really doing there. And Dennis Villeneuve does it in such a way where he brings on questions of time, memory, contact, Jodie Foster, magic. Is that a, a pretty fair description? Do you think I missed anything? Nah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, um... I uh I'll just I'll I'll keep going here cuz I have a feeling I know where you're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh I really liked it. I thought it was good. I uh I like this Dennis Villeneuve guy. Um I think Asandi is probably his best movie, although that movie's so rough, I'll never watch it again. Uh I like Prisoners, I like Enemy. Um Sicario is okay. Uh this one I think is also very good uh because as people know, I really like aliens, so I was biased to like it anyways. And I also really like him. So it was a perfect match for me. Uh, I liked some of the things, the themes they go on. Um, I didn't really have any problems with it. There's some CGI hair in there, but, I mean, I can get over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, other, Yeah, there's, uh, to be honest, there's not really a whole lot I can say bad about it. I thought it was really good, but uh, I have a feeling that uh, you might have a uh, alt right opinion about this movie. <laughs> okay, uh, thanks for setting me up there. Okay, so yep. Arrival. Uh, I knew that I didn't even know this movie existed until the last few weeks when I've been seeing people uh, reviewing it uh, on Letterboxd. Uh, I had never seen a trailer for it. I had no idea that Denny Villeneuve had a movie coming out until Blade Runner comes out next year or whatever. That's all I thought yep. he was working on. But no, he he was he's knocking out another movie in between. Um, so I didn't know this thing existed. I think I saw a movie poster and I think my registration was like, Oh, Amy Adams. Oh, Jeremy Renner. I don't like either of those people. Um, they kind of typify blandy, like mainstream Hollywood to me. Uh, completely. I like Amy Adams. Yeah. I don't know. She's like pretty horrible. And those, uh, Superman and like Zack Snyder DC Ah. movies. She's just Ah. not good. Like she's always like the weakest part. And I don't know if that has so much to do with her as a performer or Mm -hmm. just the material that she's given. Um, and I think a lot like, so, but I think these kind of typify, they don't really bring a lot to the table. They don't have like, to me, a lot of screen presence. So I wasn't kind of like not super, uh, excited to even watch this movie but then i kept seeing people like watching this movie and like loving it 
people love this movie, RJ. Uh, well, I know. I, I've seen people throw masterpiece to describe this. And, you know, I Ooh. do, uh, I mean, of the Denny Villeneuve movies, uh, I liked Enemy. I thought that was pretty solid. Uh, mm-hmm. Prisoner, I think, is pretty good, uh, though it's got not, it's far from perfect. Uh, and I still haven't watched, like, Polytechnique or uh, Incendies yet. Uh, I, do, I, have, I have Blu-rays of them just sitting, ready to be watched. Um, and then, yeah, I, I watched that Sicario movie. And I felt pretty well the same way about it as I do about Arrival, which is kind of like at the end of the day, after watching these movies, I just couldn't care less. <laughs> um, oh, Jerry. Yeah, I think Arrival's not a very good movie. Um, I, do, I don't think anyone's going to give a crap about this movie like a few years from now. In fact, people like look back at it kind of the way that I look back at Inception and kind of go, oh, <gasps> I know. I'm going after it. See, so because there's a link, there's, there's, there's a link here because um, Arrival kind of typifies this uh, way of like how movies are trying to be like everything's going to be like Christopher Nolan movies, which is terrible because not people shouldn't be making Christopher Nolan movies. People should be making their own movies and not mm-hmm. uh, trying to be playing with this like non-linear storytelling. Um, like there's like, there's scenes in it that just like, I don't know, that just wholesale made me go like, oh, it's like interstellar, but it's like not even as good as that. Um, I think there's like, so again, uh, spoilers people in case you haven't figured it out, even though RG has been talking about Dr. Strange and, uh, well, now we're talking about Arrival. So here we go. Uh, there's the bit where she goes, uh, it's like it flashes forward because she's psychic now. And mm-hmm. can see into the future and like ex- experience time and space uh, on a circle kind of thing, so she can kind of hop around. Uh, so she goes to the future and she meets the evil, quote unquote evil uh, Chinese general who wants to blow up the aliens. But of course, now it's like after she's already saved the day, and mm-hmm. she, uh, the whole scene it's just like shot exactly like something in Inception or. Um, I don't know, like these like soft brown light, like brown lighting and like yellow lights and stuff like that. Like it just felt like really, I'm like, this made me think, oh, it's Christopher Nolan. But then you, we get these exchanges that are like so ham-fisted where he's just like, oh, I can't believe the day that you called me on my private number. Like you, like you would like you would talk yeah. like this. And then she's like, what do you mean? Oh, I don't know your number. And he's like takes his phone and like shows her his phone number. I think you need to know this. And I yeah. like, this is like toward the end of the movie. So, I mean, I don't know. I was kind of not into this movie up to this point. Like I thought it was like, okay. Like it, it kind of kept wavering back and forth for me. Um, mm-hmm. And then like that scene kind of just made me go, what the hell? <laughs> and then, um, yeah. The, the next, the great moment right at the end of this movie is Jeremy Renner delivering. I think I, I, maybe I'm paraphrasing here. I, believe, I think the line goes something along like, do you want to make a baby? <laughs> something like that. Uh, do you, I, I think that's exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and even his uh, delivery is pretty much to a T that. Yeah, do like, you want to make a baby? Do you want to make a baby? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so Jeremy Renner do, has nothing to do in this movie. He's just there. Uh, yep. I, I, he does nothing like he if you if you took him out of the movie it'd be like you wouldn't matter um because like so the whole movie mm-hmm. it opens up with this sort of um i, I call it like miss a red herring almost like it's a misleading thing where you feel you take this character as like she's had a child and the child's died and then the mm-hmm. movie can and then the movie kind of goes out from there where she's single and she's this linguist etc but it turns out that nope that hasn't happened yet but it doesn't matter it doesn't really change too much other than it kind of turns the character into like 
I don't know, this weird, selfish human being, I would argue. Mm -hmm. Because the the whole idea now is that, um, so after the aliens show up, and she now has powers to like look into the future. And of course, now that these aliens have given humanity this gift of, or at least people who can like uh, learn languages, so people who mm-hmm. are like rich and not poor people, um, they'll be able to like also get their brain rearranged so that they can experience time in a more open sense. And so what happens is she gets uh, woke, you could say, to the uh, to the realization that she's going oh, to have man. a child with Jeremy Renner and that child is going to uh, develop a horrible disease and die. And so there's this whole, like, I don't know. I don't think this movie does a really great job of, of answering that. This idea that's like, well, even if you know your child's going to die horribly, is it still worth it to have this child? Um, well, they, they kind of address that. Like, because ah, the, whole, the whole reason they split up is because Jeremy Renner is like, you knew this was going to happen and yeah. you still did it. Yeah. But I, I got the impression that she was like, uh, every moment we had with her is made like, up for it made up for the fact that we lost her. It's like, you know, that old saying, like better to have loved and lost than never have loved at all. You know, that old saying yeah, here, but, you but, might not be familiar, but her with daughter that. didn't know she was going to die either. Like that was like yeah. kept Aww. from her. So she could continue enjoying this selfish memory of this life. It's, it's bullshit. Like it's, a, it's kind of gross and weird. And, uh, I, it didn't work for me. Uh, on a any level it's it's just kind of mm-hmm. weird and it's like what a weird movie this is um it's, it's, it's kind of like hacksaw ridge in some ways where it's like what is this like what is the yeah the what is the like i don't know i don't want to go more <clears throat> the morality route but like what is the tenets of this film like what are, what is the point of this movie um i mean it's strange don't die, don't, don't die or yeah just live life man yolo mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's like, it's bullshit. Yeah. It's like, fuck this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. This movie, I start thinking about it and I start getting mad because there's so much stuff in this movie that's like completely flat and dull and like badly made. And I don't sure. get why, I don't, I wish I could see, I guess, what people are like getting out of this. Cause like, I thought it was kind of crap. Um, well, we've mentioned this many times, but I think it's because you're heartless. <laughs> I don't know. Um, like for, for whatever reason, I mean, I thought Interstellar worked for me, and then for people like Interstellar doesn't work for them at all. They like think Interstellar's uh, like because they always complain about Christopher Nolan being a cold, calculated, horrible man, no. like Stanley Kubrick, right? Going back to Those that, people suck. and like David Cronenberg and stuff. But it's like in this movie, I mean, I felt this movie was like really cold and weird, and but people like yeah, it totally works for him, and I don't get it. I mean, mm-hmm. so I think like uh, when we came out of the theater, I was trying to keep my thoughts myself because i really wanted to think about this and like think it through um and like there's like things in this mm-hmm. movie that just like uh chap my ass uh there's like <gasps> what things ki- what like kinds of things well there's like so like the non-linear storytelling thing it's become such a weird crux for like ambiguity and like cutting i don't know mm-hmm. it's it's a lazy trope now um and it's like shane carruthers kind of kicked it off with things like primer and um then there's uh, upstream color same thing mm-hmm. it's like people mistake that uh tree of life really like is uh, a prime example of that um, and yeah. I think that movie is really popular and I think Arrival kind of feeds into that sort of editing style that just happens to be in right now, but I, it's, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, yeah. cause it doesn't, it, unless it's like really like adds something to the structure, like maybe in those other movies, then Arrival, it doesn't really add anything. It's almost like a weird trick. Like it's kind of like, see, you didn't know it, that her daughter's not dead yet. Cause she has been born. And it's like, well, who, so what? 
Like, I mm-hmm. don't know. It's like a weird mislead that like you're supposed to go, oh, I didn't know that. Because like at the time I was like, you just assume that. And then they go, oh. And then you realize, oh, well, then Jeremy Renner's the father. And there's all these comments about like, oh, you have to talk to your father. He knows all about science. And it's like, well, who cares? Mm-hmm. And I mean, like that's like just like kind of making the audience feel good about itself, about your movie being like not as smart as it wants to be but the audience can mm. go along and go yeah this movie is really smart but it's like no it's just telling you exactly what's where it's going to go because i mean unless it, it cheats right and it's not going to do that yeah. and it doesn't do that so i guess buoy for it i mean i don't know i i i don't know i started like zoning out at certain points I, the one thing i will say that i really liked about the movie was that the proportions of the viewing screen to the uh heptapods was the exact same oh, size uh, as the actual like theater screen that you're watching the movie on, which is kind of like a uh, interesting thing. I was just really aware of like when they kept walking into that chamber to like meet with them, that mm-hmm. it was like a, it was like a theater screen. And then like that kind of like that rectangular shape kept popping up. So, I mean, there is like, there's like the, uh, that Denny Villeneuve, um, sense of, uh, like design. And like, there is like some, he has genuine interest in like trying to create these images, but I thought this movie actually didn't look that amazing compared to like enemy, which I thought actually had a really strong look to it. Um, yeah. and then there's like weird callbacks too. Cause there's the bit where like Amy Adams is like kind of waiting in her like room and then she turns over and there's like heptapod that's like not really there, but it's right beside her. And she's like hallucinating, but it doesn't make any sense. Like it turns, it doesn't add anything. There's no reason why that heptapod is just right beside her other than, isn't that freaky? And it's like kind of like an enemy with the like giant spider yeah. insect things, whatever the hell's going on in the movie. And it's just like, so what? Like, I don't know. It's kind of a weird, like, stylistic flourish that doesn't really go anywhere at all. Um, it's kind of funny that he gets to get away with it in a fairly mainstream movie. Um, yeah. But well, he's mainstream now. Oh, yeah. You got oh, that Blade Runner, man. Yeah, he can do whatever yeah, he wants. He can do whatever he wants. And I don't know how I feel about it now. Um, Blade Runner is well, a weird movie than in the first place. Um, like, yeah. I, I have no idea how people coming to that movie now look at that other than like it looks amazing and it's kind of a technical feat but it's kind of a weird movie too i mean he's actually kind of perfectly suited to the material and if he if he sticks if he's doing what he's been doing all along um and doesn't get like bombarded with like studio notes and like gets kind of undermined by that factor he should be okay i mean i'll probably still check out his movies as they come out but i thought arrival was super disappointing rj can i tell you the truth for a second you want to get real here yeah I think you're super disappointing because <laughs> I knew you were. Well, actually, no, I thought you were actually going to like it. So that's a little not like surprising. Like, you know, you know, like when you get disappointed so many times that it doesn't even affect you anymore. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel now. OK, so, you're so continually disappointed. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, yeah. I, I know how you uh, how you like to rate movies and go into them so i'll just say for what it was i liked it and i like aliens and for what you are yeah. i'm not sure yet <laughs> you'll well maybe by uh, the end of this this podcast series you'll know me a little better oh the other thing with the rival too that like it, it really put me off like right at the beginning is like the whole scene where she's teaching and then like everyone's phones start going off and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, this is like the most common thing in the world to do now. It's that post 9-11, there's a big event happening. How do we film that? 
Um, mm-hmm. And like, it's not like Independence Day where you just have people standing out on the streets looking up at things happening. We find out yep. about it like secondhand through uh, media. Um, and yeah, I got to. So, oh, well, let me just finish this quick. Yeah. So there, everyone starts getting the phone call. And then she's like, kind of looking, what's going on? And they're like, turn on the TV. And I'm like, wait a minute. So she turns around and she just like hits a button and this like screen moves aside. And there's yeah. like a television with cable like all ready to go. And I'm like, I mean, maybe this, the US has like, uh, different sorts of classrooms, but like, no. I, I, that's bullshit. It doesn't happen. There's no, mm-hmm. there, there is no one's paying for cable to every goddamn television in a university anywhere. Mm-hmm. And you just, well, there it is. I mean, I, there's like, I guess they didn't want to show the scene where she has to like go onto her YouTube account and go find a live stream on like CNN. That would like, been awesome. That, that would have been attention to detail. I mean, like that sort of stuff's an enemy. Which is awesome mm-hmm. in the enemy, um, yeah. like where he's like looking online and finding weird videos of himself or a guy that looks mm-hmm. like him, or like renting videos. Like it's like I love that minutia. In this movie, it's like, nah, we got to get to the aliens and the mm-hmm. the shots and like and of course, uh, you get a whole bunch of these series of shots of just people staring at things and reacting to things, and then you get a bunch of like uh, low grade newscast footage of the event. But I'm like, it started making me think of. Uh, the Godzilla movie, uh, the Gareth Edwards oh, yeah. one. And I, I, I was actually just complaining about him uh, the, the other week in that movie and like mm-hmm. how you spend a lot of time not really seeing the things that you want to see and like we things cut away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the other thing that this movie also reminded me of was Midnight Special, which is a movie that everybody talked about earlier this mm-hmm. year and people were saying yeah this movie's a great classic but I've seen no one talk about it anymore like it's already dropped right off um, yeah. and this movie's got very similar in a lot of ways um, but at least at least that that movie had a wicked opening like the first like hour mm-hmm. of that movie was excellent and I was totally hooked into it and it's just because the second hour was super disappointing that that movie yeah. felt like it let me down and this mm-hmm. movie never got me the same way but it kept it, it had the similar problem uh, between these two movies where they have this like before we show you something we're going to cut away and that, mm-hmm. and I was so mad at the beginning of Arrival when like they're about to have the first conversation between uh, Amy Adams and the heptopods, and then it cut away right. before we actually saw the exchange, and it was just cut back to well that didn't work, and it's like what didn't work? What? But then we actually wind up spending a lot of time with her talking to these things, and mm-hmm. we actually do get to see uh, her inside the the tank, the 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 mist tank with her CGI hair that looked like yeah. crap. Because um, mm-hmm. I don't know why they did that. Why would they even do that? Why I bother? Don't, I don't know. I guess it's the those the cheapest way of doing it, or some there's some stupid reason. Um, but yeah, and then you get like I mean I just kept thinking of the movie The Mist <laughs> and mm-hmm. like weird things and like but it's shadowy and kind of unclear. It's just like this weird like we have to have this ambiguity rather than clarity, which I get why you kind of go for that because maybe you just don't have a lot enough confidence or in your like CGI people who are going to put this stuff together after mm-hmm. the fact that you don't know what's going to look like. So we're, we're going to mask it a little bit. We don't want to make, we don't make it timeless, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's, it's just like, I see it all the time. It's in all these types of movies now, like every genre movie is afraid to be a genre movie and they try to obfuscate it with ambiguity, RJ. Mm, it's, obfuscation. It, huh? Obfuscation. That's right. Hey, you know what movie didn't try to hide their monsters? What? Chud. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I earlier folks, I emailed uh, RJ with my shipping confirmation that my copy of Chud, the Arrow Blu-ray release, <laughs> is on its way to me right now. Uh, I'm still waiting for confirmation on my Chud 2, Bud the Chud, uh, mm-hmm. which has uh, also uh, been released this week or something, and uh, I can't wait. <laughs> Here, I, hey, I got an idea for you. Dennis Villeneuve's next movie, Chud 3. The Chuddening? Um, the Chuddening, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sad people doing sad things, Chud 3. Mm-hmm. That's what it would be. Um, 
No, yeah, that's fine. I okay. your opinion is valid. Uh, I was gonna say about that classroom thing. What kind of kids go to a university class with their ringers on? Come on. In this, yeah, like, come on. It's not. Come two, on. It's not 2005 anymore, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Anyways. Anyways, uh, yeah. So what have you been creeping on? Well, uh, I'll just touch on some quick ones. Um, I watched a film. Uh, rewatched a film called Sweet Sweetback's mm-hmm. Badass Song from 1971. I- I'm just going to drift away while you talk about this movie. Yep. So, Sweet Sweet Badass Song. Uh, this film is held up as a uh, kind of the pioneer of black exploitation because essentially uh, Melvin Van Peebles went and made this movie um, and it made a whole ton of money. Like, he made it for $150,000 in 1971 uh, and it made like 50, or it's apparently now made like $15 million. And it's like, that's pretty crazy. Huh. And it basically, because of its success, it kind of said, hey, you can tell movies about black people and like their experience and like, like genre action, trashy movies and sure. like make money doing so. And that's like, I mean, so it's kind of like the, the forefather of the black exploitation movies, which a lot of the times would just be actually made by like, like white guys, Jewish guys in New York, because um, those are the guys who were making movies. And every once in a while, they'd actually be made by like a black director, which is the case with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie, uh, I have I bought this movie way back, like 15 years ago on DVD, watched it back then, and I always thought it was kind of a weird movie. And uh, it's been years since I watched it, but my friend Corey, he, like, we were on a bit of a black exploitation kick recently. He's like, oh, we should watch that again. Bring it over. So I mm-hmm. did, dusted it off, popped it in, and... Man, I don't know what what's happened to me over the last 15 years, but like I think this movie's kind of horrendous. Like it's a bad mm-hmm. movie. Like um and there's people again who really like this movie and like I don't know, they're looking past some like egregious stuff and like excusing like bad filmmaking for uh artistic vision, but it was basically a guy mm-hmm. who had not made a movie before trying to learn how to make a movie and doing it really messily and it's super repetitive, uh, kind of a drag. Um, and my, the, the RJ portion of this, uh, is that it's got some, like some good old fashioned animal bodies in it. Um, there's one bit where, uh, Melvin, who plays the main character, he kills and eats a lizard in the desert, which I don't know, whatever. Uh, That didn't bother Mm. me too much. It's like, you know, he, he caught and he stabbed it bit it, he ate it, and that's the scene. Um, sure. It, the, the real problem in this movie for me comes at the very end where um, he's, like, kind of on the run. The whole movie, he's on the run, and uh, he's being chased down by some, like, hound dogs, like, down by the river. And, like, because, mm-hmm. like, the, the cops have just unleashed the dogs, and they've run after him. And then we, we get, like, a thing where, like, you don't know what's happened if uh, the dogs got him or whatever. And then it, like, kind of cuts to, like, the morning. And then the police come along to the site where they had, like, the dogs and he had met. And we see scenes where there's, like, two dogs just floating in the river. And there's, like, shots of these dogs, and they're just there. And they're, like, like dead, dead dogs just floating, like, their corpses in the water. And it's, like what the fuck is going on here? Like, I, I don't remember this at all mm-hmm. from like when I watched it years ago. Um, and I just did a kind of a quick look around online and apparently cause, uh, we were trying to make excuses for like, well, maybe they're just taxidermy dogs. And it's like, no, they're floating. Oh. And it's like, no, apparently he went to a animal, sh- uh, shelter, uh, and he paid them like 20 bucks to get two dog corpses so that he could get this shot where he threw their remains in the fucking, 
fucking river. Um, and just to show that he's like this, this character himself is such a badass um, that he killed these dogs and is still on the run. And it's just like, to what end? I'm like, I'm not like any mm-hmm. more sympathetic to this guy. I don't think any better than him. In fact, I think worse of him. And on top of that, you went and like, I mean, uh, I mean, dog pounds or whatever, they do what they have to do with this stuff. I mean, it's what it is. This it's a shitty situation, but it's like really fucked up. And mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I, I what we talked like two hours about walkabout, where I was like defending yeah. an, animal death in cruelty in mm-hmm. films. This one just like snuck up on me, and I was like, "What the hell?" To a dog. And then, of course, uh, this yeah. is also tied in. Like I think, like the next day, uh, with Anthony Bourdain. Uh, getting feisty with some uh, some loudmouth heckler talking about how he eats dogs when he's in foreign countries and him just like kind of chiding along with it but then like him like when the guy wouldn't stop heckling he just said if you don't stop talking I'm gonna go out and like kill a dog or something like that or like something like messed up and then like this article in AV Club was like kind of like saying that this is great and I was like what the- why is that <laughs> how is that great how is it at great? all it's like yeah I mean like whatever man other cultures eat dogs so it's it's why we eat lots of different meats and I don't know it's this false equiv- equivocation thing I don't give a fuck mm-hmm. I'm like I like dogs and uh, I don't know this this mess this this bothered me a lot um, on top of the movie being kind of like a piece of crap <laughs> um yeah. like i don't know it's like historically important people like seem to look past the these dead dogs floating in the river and just like weird sex scenes like rj dude this movie opens up with melvin van Peebles' own son who's like a minor like laying on top of this naked woman because he's playing himself as a young child having sex with this woman sure. so it's like oh so it opens up with that so this movie was like rated x when it was first released and it was like oh white jury that's how it promoted itself but it's like yeah no uh we're that was 1971 or 2016. This movie's still pretty mm-hmm. like ugh, revolting and not nothing. I don't know. There's nothing too much to recommend it. Like you can get like a much more enjoyable black exploitation experience from I don't know Blackula. It's not as brave. Oh, yeah. It's not as bold. Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, I enjoy those movies a great deal. Um, so Sweet Sweetback is I think only for the film connoisseur who really wants to explore mm. deep into gross, strange filmmaking decisions. <laughs> Uh yeah, that all sounds horrible. Yeah, um, no, this I'm is never I'm, gonna, no, gonna watch. No, and uh, I'm pretty happy that um I usually just watch Mel Gibson movies and movies about math. Yep. Uh, because that just sounds it doesn't sound good, Jer. No, not at all. Well, so, um, yeah. So you know what? Let's just move on to our news. <laughs> okay. Since now that you brought everybody down, that's right. Let's talk about something pithy and like something that no one actually gives a crap about uh i've got one thing i'll bring up uh i just saw this actually a few hours ago uh the website indiewire they had an article called the 10 most beloved movies in the criterion collection (gasps) indiewire reader survey uh they we asked indiewire readers to share their favorite movies in the criterion collection and these were the 10 most popular titles can i enter can i just interrupt you for a second yes they never asked us what our 10 favorite They didn't. Uh, they didn't put their feelers out too well because uh, I would have given some feedback. But uh, they said, no, no, guys. We don't, we don't want to hear what the creeps have to say. Maybe they knew Maybe they knew my list would just be Robocop in all 10 slots. So they just <laughs> foregoed that. Yeah. Anyways, what, what, what did the people say? Well, I'll go through the list. It's not in any particular order, I guess. Uh, sure. So we have Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. uh, Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Pan's Labyrinth, 
Ooh, which just that, which just yeah. joined the collection like a month ago and is already nice. everyone's favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. Night of the Hunter. Fart uh, sounds. Uh, Twelve Angry Men. Okay. Uh, Do the right thing. Okay. Uh, Hasu House, the Japanese okay. 1977 movie, which like when you read the article, like. Or read this person's write up for it. I don't think they've seen this movie because they describe uh, it as excruciatingly terrifying. Um, isn't that a comedy? I've never seen it. Isn't it like a horror comedy? It's a silly film. Um, yeah. It, you, you could, I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe the film as terrifying. Uh, so I, I, I doubt the person who wrote this has actually watched it. Um, anyway. You just thought that it was a horror movie? Well, people like Haosu because it's hip to like Haosu, even though it's like, sure. yeah, I don't even think it would make, it wouldn't be in my top 50. Um, mm-hmm. In the Mood for Love, some Wong Kar Wai. Uh, I've never even heard of that one. Yeah, well, we'll be watching it one day. Uh, Persona, Bergs. Oh, that's and- the only Bergman in there. Yeah, and Doctor Strange Love, which oh, is I also gonna... uh, a recent addition uh, to the Criterion yeah. Collection. So most of them are pretty mainstream, in my opinion, or, or it seems like the more mainstream picks wound up in there. I'm actually a little uh, bummed that there's not more Wes Anderson. Uh, I thought that he would fight his way in there, but yeah. uh, I'm surprised by Persona. Yeah, I me too. I to take that as the uh, the number one Bergman spot. Like I'm not. Su- I'm. Not- I would have expected there to be at least one, but that's not the one I would have expected. Like maybe Fanny and Alexandra. Oh, that movie's way too know. long for people. I, I doubt most uh, people have actually yeah. seen that movie. Persona, I think, I don't know. Maybe, I, I wonder about how many people have actually watched Persona too. Not Woody Allen, I can tell you that mm. much. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I actually, I watched a thing about how, uh, a thing with Woody Allen where he said that he rips off uh, Bergman a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he'd be the first to admit that one. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's so it for cool. my news offering. What about you? I got two for you. Okay. Uh, one real quick. Uh, hey, Jarrett, have you? Do you like science fiction? Nope. No. Do you like science fiction novels? Not really. Do you like giant worms? Uh, they're they're okay. Uh, so the film rights to uh, the Dune franchise got bought up by Legendary Pictures. Oh. Um, I know you're a fan of the David Lynch Dune. I am. Uh, and everyone's a fan of Jodorowsky's Dune. Um, so it seems like maybe they're going to make this thing into a, a, a franchise again. They're going to try. Mm, they're going to try. Because isn't there like 15 of those fucking books? Yeah, there's I think like, there's like eight from Frank Herbert, and then I'm, I think his son, like he died, and then his son wrote like three or four more. Yeah, they they uh, it was like Christopher Tolkien stuff. Yeah, I I, I guess so. I mean, I've uh, that book's always been on my radar to wa- mm-hmm. read. Um, and like, yep. yeah, I'm one of the defenders of that movie. I think it's actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, those Carlos Rambaldi effects are stunning. It's a mess of a movie, but I think it's like way yeah. better than people give it credit for. So what do you think? Are you excited for the return of Dune for giant sandworms? Sure. Why not? Um, I, I, I think it's a really cool universe. I mean, mm-hmm. the look's all there. I mean, like, you couldn't say that they didn't nail the look of Dune with David Lynch's version. Um, yeah. And Jodorowsky's thing was, like, fine. I mean, it's, like, it's a great universe, but, uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, if they just make it Blandy McGoo movie, mm-hmm. just like they do everything else the, these days in that Hollywood, yeah. uh, like I, I like to say. But uh, I don't know. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I just realized uh, one of Legendary's last uh, big movies was that Godzilla movie by your friend Gareth Edwards. So yeah. maybe uh, maybe he'll take over Dune. 
Well, well, and then you'll never see the giant worms. Yeah, exactly. We'll see the like. Oh, there's a vague trail of the worm off in the distance. Let's not show that though. Mm-hmm. Let's let's hide it. Let's just show people reacting to the thing that you can't show. And if you do, it's only for like three seconds. That's filmmaking, mm-hmm. RJ. That is a filmmaking. Yeah. Um, I have something else, but I I don't have a news article up. I just remembered this because I heard it on the radio a couple days ago. Okay. Did you hear Shelley Duvall went went uh, a little bit wonky? Oh, you want to talk about this? <laughs> I don't know. We we were there was some there was a reason I was going to bring it up, and it wasn't because you were talking about cold Kubrick. It was something we were talking about. Maybe Amy Adams, and I was like, hmm, maybe Jarrett's got something to say about Shelley Duvall. Uh, if anyone out there isn't aware. She's gone a little bit wild. She thinks people are inhabited by, like, aliens or something, and they're eating us. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't even know why I brought it up. We can just edit this part out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, yeah, I don't think she was – she hasn't been in a movie since, like, 2002, so she just kind of dropped off the face of the planet, and no one talked about her. Uh, Probably the only time people think about her is when they watch, like, The Shining or something, and they go, whatever happened to Shelley Duvall? And then they don't look it up. Um, but yeah, no, uh, there's, it's the whole Dr. Phil thing where, uh, she made her like re-debut and, uh, to the, uh, exploitation, uh, uh, by Dr. Phil, that seemed to be the issue behind it, that people were more offended by the fact that Dr. Phil is exploiting a mentally ill person. Once again, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a classic move from him. Um, my first reaction, I guess, was honestly like, whoa, what the hell happened to her? Because I mean, you put the side by side of like what she looked like and what she looks like now. And I mean, it's like terrifying. And I mean, it puts Mm -hmm. a, it, it like, this is like probably the Dr. Phil camp is like, it really like, it's like puts a face to it that people knew and shows what it looks like. Um, I mean, to an extreme example, I mean, they're profiting off it. So that's kind of gross, but I mean, that's kind of how everything operates. Every news thing works this way. And the, like the Mm -hmm. need, the fact that it works this way is how it keeps the system feeds itself. But, um, the thing that was making me like shake my head was this thing about like, uh, uh, Vivian Kubrick. So uh, Stanley mm-hmm. Kubrick's daughter started tweeting about this exploitation. I saw her thing getting shared around. And there was like a GoFundMe page to like mm-hmm. give her money or something like that. And then like people started like asking like, well, where's this money going? Like, well, shouldn't it go to something like this? And then like now yeah. I, I just read that the GoFundMe page just got taken down. or like, And so the money's all getting refunded to people. Oh. But there's this thing where like I guess Vivian – Kubrick is a Scientologist. And so Scientologists are like oh. f- are famous for being anti-psychiatric or anti-psychiatric. Mm-hmm. And so there's this weird thing. And like, I think like the base of where this money's coming from is like Clearwater, Florida, which is like the Scientology hub. Um, yeah. So there's this thing where like, oh, all these people are kind of like getting on board because like, well, she would know. But I'm like, I, I don't know. I find that like all these people coming out against Dr. Phil and talking about how great Shelley Duvall should be and needs mm-hmm. help. Like none of these people gave a shit about her for the last like, 15 years and suddenly now it's an issue it's like well okay so in some ways it was a success because now people are talking about this and i mean there's always the thing about like the stigma of mental illness that is a real thing and exists Mm -hmm. and breaking that down and sometimes uh like using a famous person is probably the best way of doing that because people care about famous people more than they care about regular folk like you or me goddamn right yeah so yeah i mean i i've i have thought about this and i'm like oh i didn't expect mm. you to bring it up here so i have well, i have you gave, thoughts you gave it a lot more thought than uh, i did actually because i have nothing to say about that <laughs> i that's Very why well. i i don't even know why i brought it up to be honest yeah what a what a coin, Some, what a coinky dink 
Maybe if I uh, maybe if someone listens to this episode and they'll realize wh- wh- why I made that jump. It was something you were talking about. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yep. All right. Well, that's it. Fun. That's it. Wow. Well, another great uh, uh, installment of the, our preamble to our actual, you know, show talking about Criterion's. Uh, so anyway, we're gonna do People that after the it. break. We're gonna be yeah talking about that Kurosawa high and low. So stick around. I was gonna clean my room until I got high. I was gonna get up and find the broom, but then I got high. Uh, my room da, da, da. is still messed up And I know why Why, man? Yeah, cause I got high Because I got high Because I got high I was gonna go to class Before I got high Come on, y'all Check it out uh, I could've cheated And I could've passed But I got high I'm taking it next semester And I know why Why, man? Yeah, もしもし。ゴンドウだが。ゴンドウさん。またこざいくやってんじゃないな。何のことだ。昼日中にカーテン閉めて何やってんだ。今までこんなことなかったぜ。そこから見えるのか。よく見えるんだ。そこからだって見
Just as he's about to put his plan into action, though, he receives a phone call from someone claiming to have kidnapped his son. Gondo is prepared to pay the ransom immediately, but the call is dismissed as a prank when his son comes wandering back into the living room uh, after playing outside. Uh, However, it turns out that uh, it wasn't just a prank that uh, his son's playmate, uh, Shinichi, uh, the the child of uh, Gondo's chauffeur, is actually missing, and the kidnapper has mistakenly abducted him instead. Um, Mm -hmm. And, of course, at this point, uh, Gondo is just like, no, uh, I'm not paying any ransom. Like, this is an insult to me. How dare he think he pulled this over me? Um, So in another phone call, the kidnapper reveals that he has discovered his mistake, uh, but still demands the same ransom and for him not to call the police. Uh, But Gondo goes ahead and does so because it's not his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gondo is now forced to make a decision about whether to pay the ransom to save the child or complete the buyout. After a long night of contemplation, Gondo announces that he will not pay the ransom, explaining that doing so would not only mean the loss of his position in the company, but cause him to go into debt and throw the futures of his wife and son into jeopardy. His plans <gasps> are weakened when his top aide lets the Cheap Shoes faction know about the kidnapping in return for a promotion should they take over. Finally, under pressure from his wife and the chauffeur and the police kind of just being there looking on, Gondo decides to pay the ransom after all. Uh, Following the kidnapper's instructions, the money is put into two small briefcases and thrown from a moving train, and uh, Shinichi is found unharmed. He's okay, folks. (gasps) We all go home. Uh, However, Gondo is forced out of the company, and his creditors demand the collateral in lieu of debt. Um, The story is widely reported, making Gondo a hero uh, to the public while the National Shoe Company is vilified and boycotted. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the police eventually find the hideout where Sinichi was kept prisoner. The bodies of the kidnapper's two accomplices are found there, killed by an overdose of heroin. The police surmise that the kidnapper engineered their deaths by supplying them with uncut drugs. Further clues lead to the identity of the kidnapper, a medical intern at a nearby hospital, but there's no hard evidence linking him to the accomplice's murders. The police lay a trap by first planting a story in the newspapers implying that the accomplices are still alive, and then forging a note from them demanding more drugs. The kidnapper is apprehended in the act of trying to supply another lethal dose of uncut heroin to his accomplices. Most of the ransom money is recovered, but too late to save Gondo's property from auction. With the kidnapper mm-hmm. facing a death sentence, he and Gondo finally meet face-to-face. Uh, Gondo has gone to work for a rival shoe company, earning less money but enjoying a free hand in running it. The kidnapper reveals that envy from seeing Gondo's house on the hill every day led him to conceive of the crime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, RJ, um, yes. this was a rewatch for me. Uh, I watched it yeah, several years ago. Um, and back then I thought the movie was pretty incredible. Uh, Mm -hmm. I liked this movie a heck of a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I bought the Blu-ray because I needed a copy from, of my own, um, like I think a year ago. And so it was quite the treat to rewatch it and watching it again. Yep. This movie still is awesome. Um, there's, yeah, I don't know. I could just start running through this thing. Um, so it's based on a book, uh, or it's loosely ad- adapted. Uh, Ed McBain, mm-hmm. uh, so Ed McBain, American author, uh, is from his 87th Precinct series. Uh, it's a book from like the 40s, like not really like a w- super well-regarded movie or anything like that, or yeah. book. Um, it's called King's Ransom. Uh, other than the mm-hmm. central premise of the wrong son being kidnapped and the millionaire still being extorted for the money, uh, and it's more like... Uh, the Mel Gibson film Ransom directed by Ron Howard, the millionaire, he never pays, but the day, the day still is still saved, I guess. Like they still win it, but there's no payment Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, But yeah, I think there's, 
the the idea of a man like from on high being humbled here is far more interesting like okay that'll come up more in the compare and contrast i guess when we talk yes. about ransom which we will be doing folks mm-hmm. um so yeah first thing you can notice about this movie because the last time we saw kurosawa it was when we were talking about the seven samurai uh, mm-hmm. hey this isn't 16th century japan this is contemporary japan uh in 1963 um toshiro's rocking quite the mustache in this year movie, oh, yeah. he's looking a little bit more stout, looking very uh, dad-like. Mm-hmm. Um, he delivers such uh, great uh, concepts as shoes or not hats. <laughs> um, uh-huh. There's a actual there's a connection here between uh, High and Low and Robocop because both these companies uh, in these films are run by people referred to as the old man, who actually have no mm. names at all. <laughs> Look at how that played out. Yeah, I think that was a calculated move by Criterion mm-hmm. back in 1998 when these were coming out. Um, right. Yeah, so there's like, yeah, he's a principled shoe factory manager. Shoes are his life. Uh, he's looking for comfortable, mm-hmm. durable, yet stylish shoes. Uh, it's so strange when I was re- reading the uh, synopsis for Wikipedia, like the whole layout is just like, is this a thriller about shoe, the shoe industry? <laughs> Um, it is. Yeah. 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 Um, one scene I loved right off the bat with this movie is uh, after he's kind of had his like confrontation with like the other members of the board who uh, want yeah. him to come in on their side uh, after he basically kicks them out of his place and they like leave in a, uh, a fluff, a fluff, uh, anger, a kerfuffle, a kerfuffle. Um, yeah. His like, wife comes in, uh, not knowing the shot. Like, she has no idea mm-hmm. what's going on. And like they're all like very much like lost face and very flustered. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's such a great little bit. I always mm-hmm. uh, love moments where character like that dramatic irony. <laughs> dramatic <laughs> um, irony. Yes. Um, so yeah, this movie's like just got like pretty well a quiet tension, like right off the bat. Um, yep. like it draws you right in. And I mean, the whole like first hour of this movie is just set in that living room. Um, you don't mm-hmm. you never even like go upstairs. It's just like in that room. Um, you can't help but admire like the, the design of that room with those curtains, yep. the, uh, the wood, uh, panels on for the walls, which are actually really, uh, cleverly incorporated into the DVD design. Cause like the inside cover of the DVD case, it's actually all wood grain. Hmm. which I'm like, when I open that up, I'm like, oh, of course they noticed that. Cause that's like one of the yeah. nicest things about this movie. It's just that room, um, like the geometry of everything, mm-hmm. uh, the way the light moves, like when the curtains are drawn, the patterning of those curtains, like it's super well designed. Um, mm-hmm. And like, there's like movies I've made up of like, you know, just like long shots, long takes and like two cameras basically yeah. uh, navigating those spaces and those characters just talking. Um, yeah, so... I guess, like, uh, if you want to throw a criticism of this movie, uh, RJ, when people uh, have called into your family saying they've kidnapped you, did they immediately believe the person on the phone? Uh, well, I'm a bad example because I've been kidnapped a lot, yeah. and it got to the point where they just they just stopped caring anymore, and they were right. starting to encourage people to take me. Right. So I'm a, I'm a pretty bad example for that, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, they, that, um, you you want a little proof, right? Like, you know, let that kid talk. Yeah. Skype him in over the internet. Bro. That's right. Yeah, come on. Got to give me some evidence. Yeah. Got to use Netscape email. 
Yeah, I was going to say, send him an email with the kid handcuffed with like yeah. 90s uh, grunge rock music in the background. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Should we the- mention, mention that we also watched Ransom starring <laughs> L. Gibson? So whenever we talk about stuff from the 90s, we're talking about the 90s remake starring Mel Gibson called Ransom. Yeah. Uh, Just sure. in case anyone didn't pick up on that. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so here's some notes. Uh, God, the subtle change of, oh, God, don't kill my child. I won't call the police to, fuck the kidnapper. This guy's insulting my pride, so fuck your kid driver. Yeah. Uh, like, it happens, like, just a turn of, like, the dime. It's just, like, as soon as it's, like, so, oh, it's not my kid's fine? Oh, whatever. So, mm-hmm. fuck, we don't care. <laughs> it's, like, just gets reckless yeah. immediately. That was uh, that was good. Uh, but, man, we, we, we've been talking about, like, sadness on this show. But, man, every time the boy's father that's been kidnapped, the, the chauffeur, he is so sad. Oh he's, my god! He, his body language and face—he's mm-hmm. just devastated, and he sells it so well. Yeah, yeah he's so cute, yep. and like he is so sad. Everybody, so Andrea actually watches with me, and every time uh, that guy popped up, she's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> she's like, "Oh god!" Like you just feel so bad for him because yeah. he's like, he's he's like shoulders are put up and his Rap- head's like oh. down he's just cowering because he's yeah. he feels so small and he's like i can't do anything i am completely at your mercy um yeah the, that guy's awesome oh yeah I, like, I like his him a lot. yeah and i mean like every time it's just like oh he's just like in the frame and he kind of moves out of frame but he's just on the edge and he's just mm-hmm. looking away and down because he's just like he doesn't know because it's like you find out it's like oh yeah his wife's dead and like it's just him mm-hmm. and his son now and now his son's are taking you're like oh like laying it on um yeah. but uh yeah just i don't know i think was it last week I was complaining about like CGI and like modern movies, like not yeah. like really use, utilizing depth of field. And it's like, here's a movie that shows, yeah, you can design rooms that are real and like lay mm-hmm. things out that are real. You have rooms where people are just talking in rooms and like have like a real weight to it instead of like, and like no roving cameras moving through boardrooms of just and people just staring at one another and mm-hmm. yammering. It's like, yeah. I, yeah. The room's great. Yeah, and it's funny too because like, that, oh, I was gonna say uh, quickly. Uh, yeah. The the thing with like, I, I just went through that list of people's favorite criterions, and like, I was thinking about mm-hmm. Twelve Angry Men a lot when I was uh, watching this movie too. It's just like, yeah, it's just like that first hour is just this like scene inside of a, a room essentially, and it's just, uh, it's all blocking, knowing where mm-hmm. to set up your characters, uh, have your actors play out their roles, and like just their body language. Like you're just right. watching like. Uh, characters move like people turn their backs at the right time and they're just like mm-hmm. doing these things that like you take totally for granted um, and I mean it's a real credit to Kurosawa's planning I was reading uh, in the one of the essays uh, uh, Donald Ritchie wrote he was like actually on set uh, while they were making this movie huh. and like during the filming of a scene in this space and just like the precision of everything like all the actors yeah. were like planned out ahead and they were blocked and then then it's a big matter of figuring out lighting and then figuring out where the cameras are going to move and it's like super mm-hmm. and slow paced like there was no rush he was uh, I guess Kurosawa was an incredibly patient man just working through everything needed to be so it would be mm. accurate or just right um, and like yeah this like just the whole hour it's like and like I said, like going back to like that tension um, is something yeah. else. Well, it shows. Yeah. Like uh, like you're like you're saying, like that first fifty minutes, it's so good. Um, like the room is like a character in itself. Like you're like you've touched on it already, but like the way the room is set up is awesome. And uh, just like yours, um, that first fifty minutes, it plays out like it's like a play almost because it's yeah. just 
dudes in one room talking to each other but um the organization and like the way it's um the way they have the characters move around so like something will happen and everyone will stand up at the same time mm-hmm. but everyone's looking in a different direction no yeah. one's looking at e- uh, at each other like the staging is so well done yeah um like you like what you just said totally makes sense it's like yeah of course they like took a lot of time and figured it out because it, you can totally tell just watching it it dazzles you <laughs> It, da- it dazzles your eyes, Jarrett, because you're like, yeah. man, this is like so well done. The mm-hmm. whole setup is just orchestrated yeah. perfectly. Well, yeah, because like, yeah, and like you said, like, yeah, with that blocking, I mean, there's this like scenes where it's like, uh, you know, everyone in the room turns away as they go off kind of their edge of the frame. And then, you know, you just know they're being overwhelmed or haunted by the grim reality of the situation. And like, mm-hmm. uh, like every time it's like, yeah, you get sad chauffeur driver that everyone's kind of thinking of and like his son yep. and like all the excuses that, uh, poor uh, uh, Gondor are making like, oh, I can't do this. And he's just making, mm-hmm. he's talking and talking and talking and they're just like, oh man, like you, there's no justifying this dude. You have to pay. It doesn't matter. Like you got to pay. And like mm-hmm. the movie like really does a good job. Like, I mean, I've watched it before, but like I, I didn't remember very much of it. And uh, like, I kind of like, I was like, what? He doesn't like, he wakes up in the next morning and he's like, no, I'm not paying. He's like totally mm-hmm. steadfast. And you're like, what? It's like, that doesn't make any, he's like, no, he can't be like, this is nuts. That's like, no, one can be this like uh, stubborn. No one can be this uh, mm-hmm. obstinate, but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, really well conceived characters, like right off the bat. Like, uh, and he's like slimy sidekick. His uh, mm-hmm. his like executive who's just like you know what he's doing. Like you know it mm-hmm. before uh, he knows it. And he's like, yeah, I, I just gotta go. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave right now. And then he keeps getting called back in. He's like, well, where is he going? And you become more. Why mm-hmm. is he? Why is he wanting to leave? Oh, and then it pieces together because you get that throwaway line where uh, he was walking them out, and you get this like when he was out by the car and just said like, hey, if you there's a place for you in this organization, if you help us out here. Mm-hmm. And you get those little moments, and um, yeah, like every, all that stuff is just laid out super, super well. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll go on, but like, so RJ, uh, what did you think of the movie? Uh, it's probably the worst movie we've watched so far. Oh yeah, it, it blows away Walkabout and Salo, RJ. For yeah. you? No, uh, this movie's super dope. Uh, this is like top five, I think, so far. Uh, everything about it was really good i was entertained the whole time i was at the edge of my seat um i think number one i think this movie just has a great setup like what an amazing story about like kidnapping but it's the wrong guy but it still like puts even more pressure on the person um it's fucking amazing Uh, i really like that um what do i have to say i think the uh police are just the coolest uh, motherfuckers in the world. They're so dedicated to it. Like they come in in disguises. Uh, when he calls, he's like, "Open the blinds," and they like they all like jump on the floor and yeah. are like crawling around like slugs and shit. Like that stuff is all really good. Um, the police are actually shown really good in this movie. Yes. Uh, like later when they show. Um, like the uh, debriefing and there's like yeah. 50 cops and it's all like, it's just like the uh, division of jobs where you have oh, yeah. certain people doing certain things. And like, you can tell like all the cops are kind of like on the same page and mm-hmm. you get the uh, Japanese George, the animal steal the big bad guy. <laughs> That's my <He's>, note. <laughs> is it? No, no, I wrote, cause I, I, I kind of hopped over it cause I went into the uh, blocking thing, but Taguchi might frighten the boy. <laughs> you George, the animal steal ugly steal. motherfucker. You, <laughs> That it was one of the first things I wrote. I was like, "Whoa, this guy looks like George oh, the Animal." Oh man, Detective Tagu- and he gets like the best line in the movie. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which one? These those people are assholes. What a bunch of assholes! Assholes. Yeah. yeah so that's <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Is like in the cop meeting, uh, he's like the way they paint Japanese cops is so like straight. He's just like, Oh, those people are assholes. Mm-hmm. Like the cops are just there. They're trying to do their job. Like, um, and they're good at it too. Like all the stakeout stuff and like undercover yeah. stuff at the end is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings me to one of, uh, one of my favorite parts. Uh, one of the undercover cops at the end has a button up shirt where, uh, the bottom part of the shirt is tied up into like a little knot, like a belly shirt. Um, it's super fun. Uh, I don't know if anyone else noticed that, but it is amazing because he's like in a club and he's got a shirt like tied off at the at the belly button, mm-hmm. like in a knot. It's like, why did he do that? <laughs> like, what's his disguise? I don't get it. Uh, oh, I, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, the chauffeur is super cute. Um, yeah, th- that was a note I had. I like. Uh, oh, I, I love. Oh, so. Um, I guess we'll transition out from like, so yeah, you get the whole initial setup of like everything happening in his house mm-hmm. and then you get the actual ransoming, like the, where they drop the money off and then you get, so we're actually on a real train. They actually shot that on mm-hmm. a train moving. Oh, cool. Uh, and I mean, th- this was like, uh, again, uh, going back to last week and complaining about uh, fucking Robocop, uh, 2014 Robocop. Uh, oh. and, and it's in a, an inappropriate, like overuse of like handheld cameras and sh- camera shake and stuff like that. Well, hey, yeah. folks, here's an appropriate use of handheld cameras in close quarters when you mm-hmm. can't like there's no way you could actually set up like proper cameras. Like you actually have to shoot with handheld. But it right. also like fits like the the tension like it actually racket mm-hmm. ratchets up suspense by using it because like you have characters running close quarters and they're running it's like intense and like shaky and like they're running back and forth through the train and there's it's cramped and you don't know if you're gonna they're gonna yeah. make it or not it just like completely transforms it from like this like kind of like a very calculated laid out tension building thing to like the release of that tension and like the right like whether or not they're gonna get the kid back um mm-hmm. and then like yeah you get like you, you get the weird phone calls and you get those things where like they're looking at people on the train you don't know who's who like and they don't even play that up too much but you're like whoa that that person could be working with the kidnappers like because mm-hmm. we've watched so many movies at this point where that they have done that but they don't really do it in this they don't pull the trigger on it but it works right. so well because like you don't know um and then they get the money and goddamn they get the kid back yeah, um, they do. Is, they do pretty good. Yeah, they they do. It's like okay, the kid's saved, and then we get to see uh, chauffeur like he gets his confidence back, and mm-hmm. he's like, and now he's like slapping his kid around. <laughs> it's like, come on, you got to remember, you got to do your duty, and like, because it's yeah. like, yeah, he's like, now he's like the like the high demanding uh, Japanese dad uh, that yeah. we all know from uh, pop culture. Pop um, culture. And then, but now, then, but then you get the completely diminished Gondo character who's like, mm-hmm. he's like just been uh, emasc- um, emasculated. Emasculated, yeah. And so, like, so he's been gutted. He's just like, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't talk. He doesn't talk until he gets some of the money back. The rest mm-hmm. of the movie, it's him like uh, mowing the lawn <laughs> and yeah. just like in his suit and just sweating like a pig. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like he's just been completely eviscerated and like he just he's just so like defeated. Like the position's changed, even though he's done Damn. a great thing and he's being mm-hmm. celebrated. But it's like he's going to lose everything. Um, so good. Yeah. And so if we go from the high to the low, and uh, Ooh, oh, yeah, shit. and then we get to the procedural, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that whole sequence, like it's a very 
it's, it turns into a different movie. And I mean, oh, yeah. I've seen some people like kind of like not as big a fan of the procedural stuff, but I yeah. love cop shows. I love mm-hmm. that. I love that shit. I love investigation stuff. I watch me the wire. I'll even oh, yeah. like, yeah. So I, I love that. And like, so this is like still right up my alley and it's really mm-hmm. well done. I mean, also it is like that whole scene, like you were talking about where they're just like standing around, um, and like kind of talking about their evidence and like building up yep. stuff. It's all like, this is how a case is made and mm-hmm. it's all laid out, uh, really methodically. Um, yeah. and like, and I all, yeah, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I also think like that shows like the editing is so good in this movie. Like the way that it, Kurosawa tells the story too, because the cops are all like telling their story, but like it goes from them talking to just scenes of them, like, doing the stuff that they're talking about, which I love. Like, I love yeah. stuff like that. And, like, I feel like that's one of those, like, commonly overdone things now. But I feel like when this came out, maybe it wasn't done that much. Like, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it in too many pre-60s movies. Like, I know this is 63, but, like, you know what I mean. Mm. Um, I, I thought that was all awesome. And, again, it just showcased, like, the cops stuff so well. Um, yeah. And everyone's sweaty. People are like oh, yeah. patting down their armpits, wiping down their bald heads, and just like they're sweating their balls off. George the Animal's got that fan that he's always just yeah. carrying around. Because, yeah, no, they it really shows like it gets the idea of like Japan just being a dank, humid, like heat yeah. box, like so good. Yeah. Um, because oh, yeah. everyone, yeah, everyone's so sweaty. Yeah. Well, there's like that really amazing shot too where like um, it's the pan, like when we actually get introduced to the kidnapper. Um, yeah. and like him walking back to, uh, his like shack and then like mm-hmm. they kind of, kind of pan back like through like the, him walking along and there's like the, this like kind of like the drain, the, the, the river drainage yeah. or whatever it is. And you see the reflection of the house mm-hmm. in the water. It's just like, yeah. so, like so good. Um, and, um. Yeah, I don't know. It's because, like, it's like we were saying, that house is like a character. Like, it's just mm. uh, looming over the entire, like, yeah. shanty, like, town. It's awesome. Well, like, it's uh, interesting, too, because I guess, like, the actual Japanese title is, like, it translates to heaven and hell. Oh, yeah. So, that's, yeah, that's, that sounds good. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess, like, yeah, the American version is the high and low, which, I mean, it plays to the same idea. I mean, uh, there's one thing uh, we've talked about before with the Criterion Collection is they like to talk about class. They like to talk about mm-hmm. class structures, and this movie totally fits right into that. Um, I mean, it's even in Seven Samurai, and it's, like, probably in, like, a lot of Kurosawa's movies. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, n- next note here, uh, I think when they start uh, driving uh, – uh, Shinichi, the kid who's kidnapped around, uh, there's like, hey, he's like looking over there and it's like, what, what is it? I peed over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's really funny. That whole scene is good too. Like just yeah. showing, um, the shot of like the kid's head and then like all the stuff moving in the, in the back mm-hmm. of the window. That's awesome. Yeah. And talking about it. fish offal and yeah, just like old school police investigation when they find the car and like you get Fuck, other, yeah. like you get their reactions and like when they all go quiet, when like a big piece mm-hmm. of evidence gets hit and you're like, Oh yeah, the police are selling the fact that's like, that's, that's a nice piece of evidence right there. You just found mm-hmm. buddy. That's a good lead. Um, yeah, yeah. It's basically an hour and a half into this movie that we get like the actual movie score. Um, yeah. yeah, which I, when it hit, I'm like, oh, that's like the perfect time to use the movie score right now. Um, and like, like mm-hmm. couldn't do it any better. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually something I noticed too. Like, uh, I think I looked at Andrew, I was like, I think that's the first time there's 
been any music in this movie at all like a score and it was like at um, an hour and 30 or something yeah yeah exactly that's exactly what it was hour and a half (laughs) yeah crazy Uh, oh uh, my next note here is uh the more innocent times of honest heroin dealers Because that, because so yeah. after like they find like the bodies and they're like, oh, a heroin dealer would want their uh, their uh, clients to overdose, and because mm-hmm. because it's not good for business. And it's like, yeah, that's like the '60s, and uh, that's like good logic back then, I suppose. Maybe in Japan they're yeah. a little bit better uh, heroin dealers, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then we get these zombie heroin addicts. I was gonna say that, how dirty is that? That, that heroin scene, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that seems like so weird, and like I'm like, oh, gross. But then it's like, yeah, uh, then you get like the nightclub scene as like kind of like. They're, 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 they've got their man. They just gotta mm-hmm. they gotta nail him dead to rights. So they're doing you the tailing game, and uh, so you get to hang out at the the multiracial bar where there seems to be <gasps> there's there's yes all these these black men are around, which Jared. is like I, I think it's like maybe in 1963 Japan this was like edgy. But then I'm like in my mind I'm like wait they're all just like servicemen like they're all American yeah. soldiers like hanging out. That's about it. And it's like I don't know I read like uh, and actually one of the other essays in the book they kind of mentioned how. Uh, that that part hasn't aged well in the sense that like mm-hmm. what, the kind of the depiction of the the hell the low world it's like mm-hmm. it's still like it's not as bad as like how awful like business executives and like corporate structures are and like how cutthroat everyone is like the creditors in this movie who are just like you think they're kind of going in one direction we're like we're going to forgive your debt because you did the right thing and you can pay us back when you get that money back right. but they're like no no fuck you we're going to take your house <laughs> and like that and then there's the ending where like they get the money back. Um, they yeah. they save the day, kind of. But then it turns out, no, they late. didn't. They didn't really save the day. He's lost everything. And you're like, mm-hmm. uh, that that took me back because I didn't remember that part from the movie. Um, yeah. I was like, oh, oh, he lost everything. But he seems like humbled, but he seems happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like the Gondo character in this movie is like so well drawn. Like the scene where uh, he takes the suitcases that they're going to put the money in and put the smoke capsules in, yeah. and he's like, "Get my tools!" And it's like, yeah. so you get to see him like go back to his roots and making the shoes, not just being the manager of that fa- uh, shoe factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a great little character moment, and yeah, he, I mean, he does seem happier, uh, and he's motivated yeah. to start from scratch and just build up from there. And you, you figure, you know, things are going to work out for him because he's a quality guy because that's the whole reason there was the conflict. He's like, I want to make good shoes. That's right. You, you motherfuckers. Yeah, hat hat doesn't matter. Your shoes, that's the base of your body. That's where yeah, it's got it's everything, it supports man. everything. Um, yeah, yeah uh, that's when I became aware uh, that my own shoes, because uh, I've been mm-hmm. walking so much this last year, they have like worn down in the spots where I walk the most. So I think I need to get me some new shoes. Well, Mafune was right, I guess. You got to get it. It's an important Mm -hmm. part of your life, Jared. Yeah. Um, And then the thing that I, of all the things in this movie that I remembered the most uh, was the very end, like the last scene of this Mm -hmm. movie, the exchange uh, as Ransomer and Ransomy come face to face. You know what's so funny about that part? The first thing the Ransomer says, he's just like, you seem well. Yeah, it's like it's like what like ex lovers would say like when they meet for coffee. It's just yeah. like you seem well. Yeah, you're you're you seem to be doing well for yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah, that seems awesome. Yeah, that how like unhinged he gets. Yeah, well, because he's like yeah. he's trying to fight the fact that he's going to the the chair and that's it. Yeah, and he's dead and. Uh, uh, it's like Gondo just seems like kind of sad about it all. Like he's like, oh mm-hmm. man, not, was any of this worth it? This is terrible, and like nothing came of it. Like it's just like um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's a great ending. 
yeah. to awesome. a excellent movie. Um, yeah. yeah, this is like yeah, top tier stuff. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's like it uh, it resonates so much more with me than like Seven Samurai. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just think it's like a great, great uh, movie. Uh, Curse, probably like I don't know. We'll see as I, we watch more Kurosawa movies. But I think it's like yep. it's like it's like it or Rashomon. Um, but yeah, they're top stuff. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, I was, uh, I, I knew this would be good because I like this Kurosawa guy. Yeah. I think he's got a good career ahead of him. But uh, I knew it would be good. But uh, when we watched it, I was like, yeah, that was really fucking good. Yes. Um, I, I will say one thing, though, just a little offhand comment. And it's not about the movie. But uh, this is uh, a major criticism of Criterion Collection in general. Uh-oh. White subtitles. Oh, yeah. They're bad in this um because so i this has come up before uh when i've watched criterions with a uh, roommate scott because he's got some like poor eyesight so there are some movies where the white subtitles kind of fade into the background mm-hmm. this movie it is like they're t- you, i rough. i have really good vision and it, there were certain times where i was like oh man i can't see what's going on because they're in that like white room and everything's white and yeah. the subtitles just come totally blend into the background it's not a comment on the movie it's no. a criterion yep. collection they should have someone should have watched this movie and been like ooh we should do black subtitles but, instead or no uh, the, the 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 solution is actually drop shadow because what it does it's it, uh, it's like it's a bit of an offset that you would put under the white so it just differentiates it from when it's white on white um, yeah. and it's well, so weird that's what they need the, the, that's what it is. Yeah, I really I noticed it too on this one. Um, I didn't even write that down, but I was noticing. I was like, "Huh, I wonder if RJ will see anything." And now you have. And so yeah, it it's a problem yeah. criterion. We know you're listening. Um, we know you're out what, there. What the hell, guys? When you go to repress it, fix that, okay? Because mm-hmm. yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah, that's like the only thing I'd say against it. <laughs> the, yeah. Well, I, I figure object. a lot of people out there, like looking at you, you got glasses on, so yeah. you got some kind of bonky eyesight. Oh, I'm blind uh, as so. A so a lot of people have eye problems, and you know mm-hmm. it's not that easy to see white on white. Well, you know what's crazy though is like uh, nowadays that the people still put out movies and they don't have like closed captioning or subtitles, which is really yeah, weird. kind of frustrating. Because like there's times where I'm watching movies like late at night and I want to turn down the volume, and then I'm like, well, if I have to turn it down that low, and like the furnace is going, and it's kind of like a lot of ambient yeah. sound. I want to turn the subtitles on so I can really read and follow along. Um, yeah. But like, then they don't even have it, and you're like, oh, great. <laughs> great yeah, yeah. you but know what movie does have subtitles what ransom uh sure are you gonna say that uh, no, no, I was, I was gonna say, we well hey we... you know you know who uh also fits into the same sentence as uh, akira kurosawa and toshiro mufune ron mel howard gibson. and mel gibson <laughs> well maybe not ron howard but fuck yeah. yeah mel gibson oh, baby man. so folks um a couple weeks out i realized high and low is coming up and it just popped into my mind i'm like wait isn't Ransom based on the same book? And I'm like, oh, and Mel Gibson. Uh, hey, RJ, are you going to watch Ransom? And you're kind of like, why? And then I'm like, and explain. And you went, oh, yeah, shit, yeah. It's going to happen. Um, I, was yeah. gonna, I was originally going to leave it up to him to cover it, but I also decided to watch it because I never saw it when it first came out. This was uh, all new to me. Uh, I just mm-hmm. I skipped over this movie back in the day. Um, I think everyone pretty well remembers Ransom for one thing and one thing only, uh, and that is Mel Gibson bellowing out. Give me back my son. Yep. And uh, yeah, so here we were. Uh, it's like, well, this is the best time as uh, if there was any to check out Ransom from 1996. So um, I don't know. It's the exact same plot, more or less. Um, yeah. This movie's got an amazing cast of 90s mm-hmm. people. Uh, just like every minute someone else shows up, 
And you're like, whoa, it's them. Whoa, Leif Schreiber. He's my favorite, said nobody. Uh, <laughs> Leif Schreiber, Donnie Wahlberg, Runkle from California Cation. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Lily. <laughs> Lily's in there, man. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Ron Howard. Uh, this movie came out, like, basically at the peak of his, like, influence. Uh, I, I don't know if it's really waned at all, but, I mean, this is, like, po- uh, Backdraft had been coming out. Apollo 13. Um, I mean, he was just making the hits. And uh, this movie was also a hit because this movie also made a fuck ton of money. Ooh, that's good yep. for Mel. <laughs> yep. Uh, I don't yeah. care about oh, yeah. Ron. And, but... and Christ, yeah, Mel. Mel was like still pretty damn popular because I think this came out the same year or year after Maverick. And Ooh. I mean, and this is like, yeah, Mel Gibson hadn't become the fallen son. Uh, yeah. that, that was still a ways away. Um, I mean, Christ, mm-hmm. this is the, the year after Braveheart. So, I mean, there's that too. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, coming off of Maverick, which is like him at his coolest and then Braveheart, him at his coolest. Uh, all all the pieces were lined up for Mel in this one, I think. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, watching this movie, it really outlines. Uh, there's some there's some missteps in this movie when you compare it to yeah. High Low. So mm-hmm. High Low, one of the big driving factors that's like so excellent when this movie starts off is it it creates this like setup where there's actual sacrifice. He has to. Yeah. Um, He's like got this whole idea, like this whole B plot of like, I'm going to take over the shoe factory or I'm going to take over the business. It's going to be great. I'm going to make the business the way it is. And then this comes up and he, he, the ransomer is asking for an exorbitant amount of money. And he's like, well, I now give up everything I need to do to do the right thing. Because one, it's not his own son. So he doesn't have to do it. But now yeah. he's like in this position where he has to do it. So it's like, great. Like that. that's like an hour of pure setup. And it's just people talking in a room. In this movie, they decide... Ah, you know what? He's super, super rich. And none of Mm -hmm. that actually matters. We're going to have this like stupid subplot about him like bribing Dan Hedaya. Yeah. (laughs) And like, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. It doesn't play into anything at all in the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I I can't think of any way that it ties into anything. Um, It doesn't matter at all. And there's there's no self-sacrifice. It's completely selfish that he wants his son back. But I mean, whatever. He wants his son back. That makes sense. But that's it. There's no real tension. Like, I can get it. Why didn't they ask for more money? They even make that point. Yeah, they do. Because he's smart. Uh, Delroy Lindo informs us. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it would have been easy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually, I did like him in this because I was like, man, I haven't seen him in anything other than Gone in 60 Seconds. Delroy, isn't Delroy? Oh, I want to say, is he not, is he not in? What is? Oh, he's no, he's in Get Shorty. He's that, in Get Shorty. I just watched that recently, yeah. so he's like, yeah, that movie's also got an amazing '90s cast of just like mm-hmm. character actors all come together. Yeah. Um, he's he's got the hilarious line of uh, when talking about kidnapping to Rene Russo. Believe yeah. it or not, this is rare. <laughs> Like this idea that yeah. like this happens all the time, like because in her mind she must. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, oh, wait, this was like the mid '90s, so this was like, um, like America's Most Wanted, and like, mm-hmm. uh, children being kidnapped left and right all over the place, kids yeah. on milk cartons, and it's like, oh yeah. And so we have to reinstate this is this is rare, folks. Yeah, um, and then uh, leave it to Ron Howard to make it as grungy and depressing as possible, where they're just like forcing the kid to drink cough syrup, so he's like passed out, <laughs> like with a heater right beside him, like make him really hot and drug him. Yeah, like man, the, I the, was so surprised by that. I was like, grungy fuck, that stuff Ron. was. Yeah, I was just like, yeah. fuck Ron Howard. Oh, but he like that was research though. I mean, they like looked yeah. at like because I mean, if you like look up this crime stuff and like see like there's like the the Polaroids that these kidnappers types send. To yeah. Parents and it's like 
duct tape over the eyes, smelly old mattress handcuffs. And it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, like that, that stuff taps into the fears of like people. And like, so like audiences, they'd be like, totally like, Oh my God, this could happen to my little Billy, my little Sarah. They got and me. They got you. They, they, they're mm-hmm. like, well, this could happen to my cats. <laughs> yeah. And I'd pay the ransom. You pay that two mil. Yeah. Uh, fuck yeah. your two mil. Yeah. As so says. yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, movie proceeds along, and uh, we get the uh, strange decision in this movie where, like, he goes to pay the <laughs> ransom. It, it goes wrong. It goes wrong because that's what happens. And yeah. then he decides, like, on his way to go pay the ransom again to say fuck that and he gets like because he's rich and there's no real like tension in this he just like i'm gonna go get a tv spot on the network here in new york and they're just gonna give it to mm-hmm. me and i'm just going to uh show up with this money in front of me and i'm just gonna say i'm not paying the ransom i'm gonna put money on your head <laughs> and mm-hmm. like that honestly like i don't know in this movie it doesn't really go anywhere particular like the whole idea is that yeah. like i mean at this point you think that they would be playing up the idea that like the kidnappers are going to turn on one another yeah and they don't okay. oh yeah so that's the other thing in this movie they like don't even try to like create any suspense about who the kidnappers are or what they look like they just show you like immediately mm-hmm. like as soon as that they're there uh they're there and they're just walking around in their kidnap mansion house and they're just like the kids kidnapped yeah. and here are, here are your kidnappers but then there's like the uh, alleged twist that oh my god Gary Sinise the New York detective he's yeah. a villain RJ can you believe that Gary Sinise in a movie in the 90s is a villain <laughs> I actually can he's never played anything other than an upstanding citizen D- did you ever watch Snake Eyes uh, I have seen Snake Eyes but uh, it, when, when did that movie come out like 15 years ago? Uh, Maybe close close to 20 years ago, I think. Yeah, so that's when I saw Snake Eyes. Yeah, so that movie, like, I remember, like, we were watching that. I remember Gary Sinise popped up, and we all immediately went, oh, he's the bad guy. (laughs) And, like, we were, like, not, like, that's, like, we were, like, 14, 15 Mm -hmm. years old. And we were just like, oh, he's the bad guy. And it was. It's, like, because it's Gary Sinise. Because he he looks like a rat bastard. He is the the Jeremy Renner of his era. Uh. Yeah. Except for Tom Hanks movies, because like Apollo 13 and Forrest Gump, he's not like a total bad guy in those. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, it's not. Oh, Lieutenant Dan. Robert Zemeckis, once again. Uh, ah, yeah. math. Yeah. Um, but oh, yeah, anyways, yeah. you're talking anyways, about Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise shows up. And so uh, Gary Sinise, every time him and Mel Gibson actually get to do something together, this is when yep. the movie's at its best. Uh, oh, yeah. You could basically throw out the first like hour and 10 minutes, which are pretty typical like movie yep. you'd expect it to be. But then you start getting Gary and Mel on the phone together. And they just like, this is the point where like Mel said like, fuck it. I'm just like, I'm going to. Uh, put a ransom on your head and uh, dead or alive because that's legal apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So no one had, no one seems to have any issue with the legality of this, um, <sighs> I guess. And uh, then, no. so yeah, Gary Sinise and him, they, they have a chat and then things just keep escalating. And Gary Sinise, he, he turns on them because he makes actually the fairly intelligent decision to be like, Hey, yeah. I can make, make $4 million and get like handed the money right off the bat. And he kills all his accomplices and, uh, and that's like looks like that's going to be it for the rest of the movie but then things of course have to proceed from there you get a kid piss himself and like stare like so so that scene is fucking crazy me and andrea both looked at each other because the kid's double taking he's like looking back and forth and he's like peeing his pants you're just like jesus christ for an hour i I just keep laughing that scene i thought was hilarious (laughs) yeah 
like yeah. it's sort of like it's so sort of like oh of course they did this scene like it's like the, it's perfect it's like I don't know uh, there's one mm-hmm. comment I'll make too is like uh, once like Mel Gibson takes matters into his own hands I was reminded yeah. of like the, the the 90s thriller cliche of how the individual person will triumph where law enforcement will fail always like because mm-hmm. like law enforcement's always incompetent you can't trust the, the government to like yeah. handle things properly it's about the person to do it right and that's like always how these movies like that's the only way they can be like interesting because otherwise the police mm-hmm. just show up and then they take care of everything like they do in real life more or less sure uh i don't want to editorialize yeah. too much there but that's like it's like the, that's what every 90s thriller boils down to is mm-hmm. the police are powerless to help you or you can't trust them because mm-hmm. they're they're trying to get you on bribing people on federal law which you actually are guilty of you just admitted to it but that's okay i'm going to forget all about that Thanks. Yeah. Well, that's actually like, that's one thing Andrea said. She was like, these FBI agents haven't done fuck all like Delroy Alindo. He just doesn't do anything when compared to the night before we watched high and low where those cops are like crawling on the floor and doing like, like so much work for it and stuff like that. You're just like, man. Yeah. Cause Delroy's just on the phone. He's like, what's up, baby girl. It's like, man, I'm glad we aren't rich. Yeah. And you're just like, you're, and, but like he, like he actually doesn't do anything the whole movie. Even at the end <laughs> when there's the big shootout, like the street cops get him. Like, do you, yeah. well, like Delroy or, shoots or they him, cover but like him. he just, yeah. he just pulls up at the end and he's just but, like, Ooh, I'm here, Mel. I think he does shoot him. I think he shoots him the final two times, but Mel's already hit him once, and then yeah. he gets the cover shots. It's like, oh, Mel actually kills him, though. So, hey, uh, yeah. that, that was actually – I wonder if Mel actually got the idea for payback like in, like, st- the staging of that movie from the end of this movie because it's, like, you're oh, in, New- sure. in New York City, and, like, it's like, so did Mel really fall in love with New York, and he wanted to make, like, action scenes in this city? And I, I was thinking of payback. Mm-hmm. For sure. Or straight uh, up, as his cut is called. Straight up, yeah, that movie rules. Yeah, I like Payback a lot. Um, but no, yeah, so uh, I agree with you uh, completely. Uh, this movie, you can tell Ron Howard was like not sure of how to do things yet, and I don't know if like people know that it would are people might argue that he still doesn't. But I mean, he had some good filmmaking points there. Oh, yeah. But then there are some major missteps. Like, there's actually a lot of like weird, like not continuity, but like errors like that like that i noticed like one weird thing is like so mel gibson pulls up to the house when they find the son and then they walk him in and they find him and they take him out and then they walk him and uh delroy's like do you remember uh this lady and she's like dead in the doorway and it's like wouldn't they have passed her to walk into the house in this scene previously <laughs> like that that's a really like small thing to say but like sure. i noticed a, a lot of stuff like that where just like like mm, this doesn't really make sense given like what just happened mm-hmm. so there's stuff like that and then at the end of, <laughs> it was so funny the end of the scene ron howard gets so fucking art house where it goes like <laughs> slow slow motion and he just kind of saturates the color way de- way de- down desaturates it yeah 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 desaturates it way way down to like almost black and white and you're oh, just like mm. yeah this movie's got some shitty 90 slow-mo where it's like it yep. wasn't actually shot to be slow motion they thought of it after the fact because the, yeah. the movie opens up with the, with that crap, too. Because it's, like, black and white, and then it comes into color for no reason. For um, no reason. And then, uh, oh, that reminds me of the beginning of this movie. So uh, the whole beginning of the movie is, like, yeah. at the like at his house, and he's got, like, he's having a party for this, like, new commercial he's just, like, the star of. Because he's, like, a hands-on kind of corporate guy. He's he's old-fashioned. And, uh, and it's, like, oh, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, 
um, I think the terminology is punch-up guys. So what it is is like, so you have these scenes in movies where like characters are interacting at a party and then like somebody Mm -hmm. in the background says something out loud and it's like a funny line, allegedly funny. And there's like, oh, I bet you didn't see that coming. (laughs) And everyone laughs. But it's like, those are like, Mm -hmm. I guess like comedians, like for like money, what they'll do is they get hired to do punch-up stuff for um yeah. for like major releases like they'll be there like hey write a funny line here and usually it comes in the form of like a guy in a crowd saying something into a scene and it's always done after the fact it's just to spruce things up and then you can just throw like a laugh track on it's just like it's like mm-hmm. the lowest form of life sort of stuff um like it's like i'm sure comedians feel really depressed about themselves when they do this but they're not like mm-hmm. sad when they get their paycheck and can make their rent and stuff but uh yeah. this movie's like the whole opening is just punch up guys and like it's people yelling yelling back unfunny things and Mel Gibson having to pretend to like laugh at it but he actually doesn't because he's not in that scene it's all the other assholes watching the video and then he shows up after the words because he's not so he doesn't actually get sullied by that mm-hmm. bad Hollywood trope he's too cool for that shit yeah. buddy yeah he is um, so yeah. uh, Ransom uh, it's fine it's okay yep um, yeah it's, it's it's an example of this sort of filmmaking but it's not like any. it's not great or anything so yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you completely. Uh, this movie is just all right. Uh, it has some pretty cool stuff, uh, things I like a lot. There's some weird stuff in there, but to be honest, I, I was entertained. Uh, also because mostly maybe because my best buddy Mel Gibson is in there. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's fine. I liked it. Uh, I, I like seeing Mel do stuff mm-hmm. in any in anything. So awesome so there you have it cool. fresh take on the, the 1990s classic <laughs> yeah um so uh before we wrap up we we missed something we gotta oh, talk about do do? who on earth hates high and low <laughs> oh god i don't even want to know those people oh yeah no I, I had to dig deep like there's like pages and pages of just people who didn't like give star ratings they just watched the movie and like they wrote reviews but they didn't star it yeah um, so i didn't i don't care about those i care about uh, people putting their names to numbers baby Mm-hmm. So, uh, our one and only one star review <gasps> from oh. Josh. Admittedly, this just isn't my type of film. However, when I hear thriller, I expect to be thrilled. High and low has mm-hmm. one good scene. That's it. The scene is very a very good one, but still, the first 45 minutes are an excruciating bore, and though there's a definite uptick in action when the bullet train scene hits, the rest of the film isn't anything I could recommend. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, bud. Thanks. Uh, mm-hmm. Steve Sandberg, he gave this two and a half stars. Um, will I be shunned by the community for being pretty cold on this one? It's weird yep. how the first 45 minutes set exclusively in one room are so much more tense and involving than the 90 minutes of police procedural tedium that follows. Credit for the craft and all, but I was just hugely bored. Exasperating it were the white subtitles against black and white images of rooms full of oh. men in white shirts. Struggling to read it did not make this a more enjoyable watch. As far as the themes of social class, they seemed irrelevant at the uh, after the first act, only to resurface at the end when I was way too detached to care. Maybe I missed something, but this was a big mistake as a Criterion blind buy, a movie that feels about as mm. long as Seven Samurai, but is never as good. Oh, yeah. that's not fair. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then there's one guy's review. He actually wrote quite a bit. Two and a half stars. Uh-huh. And, of course, he's one of these uh, guys who thinks he's smart by saying, two and a half stars, what must I be thinking? Uh, this is called one of the best films of all time. I must have seen something different. I just couldn't connect with it in the slightest, no matter how much I tried. I really, really did. I, I'm so sick of reviews that, like, are written this way. Like, mm-hmm. they, they, like what? Two and a half stars? What am I thinking? It's like, no. tell us. What, what, what was I thinking? Like, edit it, please. Just take that out uh, forever. Uh, yeah. So this guy, he loves Seven Samurai and Rand. Hand me high and low. Tell me it's a film dealing with class issue, the role of the law, capitalism, ethics, consequences of actions, and above all told in a crime drama directed by Kurosawa with Mufunie. I'd say, fuck yeah, put it on right now. But for some reason, I just could not connect with this. And that's another one about connecting. I don't know what that means. Do you, like, or, what does he mean? Like emotionally in, or in, physically? Insertion? I don't know. Uh, Gondo's sequences at the beginning had no effect on me. No tension or claustrophobia as others praise it for. Though the beginning twist was excellent and surprising <laughs> a, a fantastic <laughs> okay. premise but horribly unnatural expository lines such as what you've kidnapped my son just bring me out of it not to mention the movements and pacing of actors in the shot felt so staged <laughs> it had no unmistakable whiff of stilted fakeness ab- it had an unmistakable whiff of stilted fakeness about it huh uh, mm. the second act is the investigation what i felt to be the most engaging it's kind of funny. People have very different takes on these things. Uh, they get into yeah. the nitty-gritty details of it all, much like David Fincher's Zodiac over 40 years later. Listing evidence becomes mysteriously captivating. Also, the chimney smoke mm-hmm. scene was brilliant, unexpected, and satisfying, tying up a loose end from earlier. That pink smoke, RJ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's sure. The third act is by far, by far, however, the weakest. It concentrates mostly on the kidnapper and the detectives further investigating. The kidnapper has no motives whatsoever, despite minimal and unconvincing effort to do so in the very last scene. Not really. I think the movie actually no. act- actively yeah. makes it. It's like a uh, motiveless crime, more or less. Yeah. And it seemed incredibly convenient for this kidnapper to do such a thing at a pivotal time for Gondo. While the investigation was interesting is because... Oh, my God. Well, God damn it. Well, I, I didn't, I don't, okay, I don't read these before I read them. I just read them. And I get yeah. to experience it with you all. Well, the investigation mm. was an interesting. It uh, is because it has presented you with, with a list of candidates for the culprit. The executives needing far more development in scenes as they were the prime suspect. But instead, the film goes, hey, here's another dude out of nowhere, not connected at all to the story we set up. And he did it. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's uh, like, yeah, there's actually some people who feel like they're, they get misled. They thought there was like more to the movie than they expected. Like they thought that like what? Gondo was in on it or something. I've heard people like with crazy ideas about what the real story should be. And it's like, uh, nope. No, I think it's pretty perfect the way it is. Uh, yeah. And then we just start mature. Mufune is great. I don't get it. I didn't connect with almost a single aspect of the film. The cinematography and lighting is masterfully handled as you can come to expect from Kurosawa, but the confusing at times, uneven, unsubstantiated yet ultimately unsatisfying script lets Mm -hmm. it down for me. The pace drags awfully, blah, blah, blah. I'll, I'll talk about seven samurai and ran instead. Okay. Mm. All right. Hey, Jarrett. Yes. Do you want to hear who hates ransom? Who hates Ransom? Luke Gorham hates Ransom with a two-star rating. You know what his review is? What? Two out of five. C. (laughs) Like the letter C for a C rating. Yeah. You know who else hates Ransom? Who? Victoria. Two and a half stars. C (laughs) minus. Whoa. 
why why even write a review if you're just gonna put into like letters what your number rating is that doesn't even fucking make sense man they're all <sighs> there, okay. you, there you have it folks people online are it. dumb mm-hmm. and hey i think that's it for the another episode so hey uh after the break we're going to talk about what we're talking about next let me talk Let me talk Let it rain Let me talk Come on So, uh, RJ, uh, you just sent me a uh, bio page for an actor named Brawley Nolte. And I'm like, who's Brawley Nolte, RJ? And you're like, go, just open it up. Quick and open it up. And so I click on it, and I see that this uh, actor uh, is apparently only in Ransom. And I'm looking at Brawley Nolte, who's the child who plays Mel Gibson's uh, son in Ransom. And, oh, boy. <laughs> it's pretty um, he looks it's pretty like- haunting, isn't it? Fuck! It looks like something out of Sons of Anarchy. Like it's like a guy who gets like I don't know his face carved off by like, yeah, um, I don't know. He, he <laughs> One looks of the bad like, guys. <laughs> yeah. So you know uh, the kid from Ter- Terminator Two, John Connor from Terminator Two. Yeah, Edward Furlong. Edward Furlong. He looks like him mixed with John Connor from Terminator Three, the guy who was the yellow bastard in Sin City. Oh, Nick. D- d- whatever. <laughs> Nick whatever it, yeah. Yeah. Okay, someone out there can make a mix of uh, John Connor, Terminator 2, Edward Furlong, and John Connor, Terminator 3, and then you'll get Brawley Noltley from Ransom, and you'll see, you'll, see, you'll see a very visibly upsetting human being. Oh, man. That is Brawley Nolte. Nick's, yeah, Nick Stahl and Edward Furlong, folks. <laughs> have a look and go out there just take five seconds go look at what he's doing and you'll see what i'm talking about rj if my cat was uh accidentally uh kidnapped when they meant to kidnap your cat would you pay the ransom yes because i love cats you can follow us on the twitter at criterion creeps you can email us at criterion creeps at gmail.com we get lonely over here Mm-hmm. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on the Letterboxd. Uh, I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf over there. Um, Criterion Creeps on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, all those podcast machine app things. Mm-hmm. We're on there. Follow us. Subscribe. Rate us. It's all fun and games. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we got to get serious and you got to help us out. Uh, talk about us. Tell us. Sure. Tell us your secrets in those emails. Yeah. We'll keep them mm-hmm. secret. But next week, RJ, Spy mm-hmm. number 25. It's kind of like an anniversary issue of a comic. We're throwing back in with that French New Wave scene, and it is our first taste of that alleged fine wine that is Jean-Luc Godard and his first mm. appearance here in our Criterion Creep and his film Alphaville from 1965. Okay. Are you ready for that? Uh, it's maybe, kind of, I don't know. My French... <laughs> movies have been a little bit uh, lacking lately so yeah come see come saw yeah 
Hey, I think I undersold the cat thing. I'd do anything for a cat, Jarrett. If it was your cat? Yeah. I'd do the I'd do the Mel Gibson. I'd offer a bounty on the uh, cat napper's head. Yeah, you would say you say fuck that. I'm not paying your ransom. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna pay my ransom, buddy. Mm-hmm. Hey, I feel like uh, I stole the cool line from you because I was reading out the Mel parts. Why don't you uh, send us off with a, a give give me back my son? Uh, 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 um. Give me back my son. Okay, fine. <laughs> You have? Fine. I don't want them. That was pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, yeah. folks. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about Eddie Constantine and, and like, French sci-fi, but not really. So, oh. bye. Whoa.